Let's start this week in Titus. We're in the book of Titus. Aren't you excited? The book of Titus. It's short. It's only three chapters. So we're not going to be in it for long. We've got five messages planned for the book of Titus. And we're going to do two messages in Titus. And then we've got a week where we get to hear from Norma Van Dalen. If you don't know who Norma is, you have to jump onto the Chack Insider podcast, which just got a new episode, I think last night it was put up, with me having a conversation with Norma, talking about her ministry in Mexico and her work over the past 30 plus years. I'm really, I mean, you guys already know her, right? You've been around her for a long time. I was like so impressed with Norma. Like she... I'm just so impressed with you've got to listen to the conversation. And then after you listen to that conversation, in two weeks from now when she's here speaking on a Sunday, um, you'll just you'll appreciate it more. You'll get more out of it. But she's got she's got a ton of ministry experience, um, church planning, discipleship, evangelism experience, and she's gonna be sharing with us in two weeks. Then we'll have three more weeks in Titus. Before we get to the you know what? the Advent series, which is the Christmas series. We're that close. We're just like six weeks away from starting the Christmas series. That's kind of a downer, but but I'm the pastor, so it's exciting. Okay, so the DNA of a healthy church, a series in Titus. Basically, here's the picture of Titus, okay? Are you ready? Jesus moves into somebody's life. He changes their life. And a bunch of those changed lives people get together and they create a kingdom culture around them and they so live out the grace of God that they create a new humanity within their community. That people are drawn to Jesus and those who adopt the values of the king literally live differently and it changes how the community is reflected. So in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 we're going to look at today. We're talking just today about a new kind of leadership. But overall, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his co-worker Titus. The guy's name is Titus. In Paul's instructions to Titus, we see a subversive message, elevating the true God and undermining and destabilizing, which makes it subversive. The values and the, the cultural values uh, uh, and the gods of the Cretans, declaring them wholly unacceptable for kingdom living. Now, Cretan, have you ever heard that word used slang in your life? I don't know. At my age, I've heard it, and it meant somebody who with not a lot of intelligence. There's a reason for that, because the word Cretan, people from Crete, were generally not looked up to and not respected. Um, in his letter to Titus, Paul argues for three things in chapters one and two and three. A new leadership, and then he goes on to talk about a new household, a new family code, and then he talks about a new humanity. In the book of Titus, it's often termed a pastoral epistle. Um, First and second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral letters because Paul is writing to Titus, he's writing to Timothy, uh, his sons in the faith, and he's talking to them about how they're to do their ministry. It's, It's more than that, though, in Titus. Um, and, and by the way, Titus, he's not just a kid off on a ministry internship for Paul. Titus isn't this little 
okay, Titus, you go, go on this little missions trip to this island and, and have a good time for 10 days, and then you can come home and I'll teach you more. No, this isn't at all. This is a rough place where, where Titus is going. It's a high and hard calling that, that Paul is putting on Titus. He's there with, with, um, with Paul on the island of Crete, and Paul leaves him there. And the place is a rough place. It's corrupt. It's an island nation. It's an island nation. So they don't need anybody. They don't want anybody. Unless those somebodies are coming, bringing their money, right? Bringing goods or bringing their money to take stuff from them. Coming to the ports of call uh, where it is. Show, just go to the next slide for a minute. Let's see where, where Crete is. There it is. See the, see the arrow? That's Crete there in the middle in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, at least the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, and you can see it north of that is Greece, and they've got Italy over there, and Turkey to the northeast, and all the way to the east is where Israel is. But you can see that as ships are passing through, Crete is a great stopping place, and they had a number of ports of call around Crete, around that island. And so you had foreigners always coming in and out, and the Cretans had stuff to sell. They, had, they wanted to take advantage of those that were there. It was a corrupt, okay, so go back to that previous slide now. It was a corrupt island nation. Cretans are liars. That was the understood culture of the day. In fact, there was a word that sounds like Crete. It actually meant to lie. So to be a Cretan was to be a liar. Corrupt liars. They had inside-out ethics. It was situational. If it fit, whatever was right, as long as it fit their needs in the situation, they would just do it. You ever run into anybody like that? Where it's just like, you want to say, like, where are your morals? Where are your ethics? You know, you, you always just do whatever is good for you, and you don't care about the people around you. That's what it was like on the island of Crete. They were immoral, as most of the world was back then. Apart from God, they just created their own morality. In fact, they created their own gods. And when you create your own gods, you create the gods that you want. And the gods were immoral. So if the gods are immoral, we can be immoral. They were treacherous, rough people on this island. The guys, many of them, what they would do is they would, they would be hired out as mercenaries, as paid soldiers for other countries. So because it's an island nation, you know, they've only got so many resources. So they jump on somebody's ship and they go off and they fight for that, for that uh, country for a month or two or six. They get paid and they come back. These guys were tough and they had false gods. Zeus was the most famous of all the false gods, but it was so interesting on Crete. They believed that most of the gods actually came from Crete. They believed that they were born on the island of Crete, that many of them were buried on the island of Crete, and that worship of the gods back in that day, worship of the gods actually started on, on Crete. So it's kind of like you thinking that like you're the center of your own universe. Well, that's what they thought. They thought all the gods basically came from them. And that Crete was this great and wonderful place. So they were filled with pride, filled with power, might makes right. It doesn't matter what you do as long as it benefits you. And oh yeah, even if it hurts somebody else, it doesn't really matter. So this was the island that Paul tells Titus that I'm going to leave you there. 
and I need you to take care of business. So let's look at some pictures of this island. It's interesting topography. Imagine 2,000 years ago. You know, so they've got some, some trees planted in there. It looks kind of nice, but look at the mountains in the background. Mountains huge, up to over 8,000 feet. That's on this little island. And you've got some nice sections here. Now imagine 2,000 years ago, it probably didn't look much different. Yeah, just keep filtering through these. Just rugged terrain, and Paul's leaving this kid, kid, I say, right, probably in his 30s, on this island. Look at this. Just parts of the place that were, I mean, that's rugged. And this is in 20, this picture was in 2015. Go to the next one. The gorges, I mean, it wasn't easy to just walk through that area. Some ancient uh, uh, Muslim buildings. There's a beach. You can see the, the uh, oh, you went, by, you went by too fast. There's a bulldozer down on the right trying to make the, make the beach better. But it's a great place that people go for vacations. And Zeus is the number one god. And when he has his eye on you, he looks like this. Hello. So Zeus is the guy. And this next picture is a cave of Zeus where they believe that Zeus's mother came and hid him in the cave so that his father wouldn't consume him like he did with all the rest of his progeny. But this island was a rough and tumble place where Paul has put Titus, where Paul realized that, hey, commerce and, and business and traffic from all the different countries flows through here. This is a great place to plant the seed of the gospel, to grow, and then to get taken to all these other nations. Because ships are coming and going. They're stopping, they're getting more food, they're resting before they go on their way. And this was a great place where the gospel would reach out to the uttermost parts of the world, the known world. So in Titus chapter 1, the first four verses are the opening statement of Paul. Scholars have, every scholar I read said, don't skip over the, Paul's intro. Because Paul always has these intros to his letter. They say this is the most detailed, involved introduction of most any of his other epistles, of his letters. So Paul, in chapter 1, verse 1, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So again, Paul describes himself as a servant of God. Now again, think about Crete. There were slaves, there were free. There were mercenary soldiers, there were agricultural people, there were some artisans, and some blacksmiths, and some people who took care of, you know, basic uh, needs uh, in the different communities. Paul declares himself, first of all, and he knows people on Crete are going to read this letter, he declares himself a servant of God. Well, they're all, they've, they've got a lot of gods that come from Crete. There's a lot of gods. Do we have a lot of gods in America? I mean, we think we've got one God, but who do we serve? right, in America. Not just us, but our nation, right? We serve a lot of different gods, I think, just like they did in Crete. And Paul is identifying himself as servant of one God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Isn't he that guy who was killed like a couple decades ago over in Palestine? That he was the guy that was killed, right? So he's an apostle of this guy to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to, here it is, that leads to godliness. 
So godliness is something that Paul's going to describe throughout this letter as something that happens to people who are changed by this God. And this godliness leaks out and infects the rest of the culture if the plan works the way it's supposed to. Verse 2, in the hope, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie? Okay, now what I didn't say is throughout Titus, there are these, Paul uses these technical terms. Like, if I were to say to you something like, yeah, he ran into a buzzsaw. If you were outside of the culture and outside of the language and trying to translate it, you'd be like, ooh, ooh, that must have hurt. But when I say he ran into a buzzsaw, you understand what buzzsaw means. You know, a tough situation, couldn't get past, he couldn't meet his goal, whatever. If I were used to use the term to you, 9-11. If you were in a part of the culture, you'd say, it's two numbers, they're both odd. They're both odd numbers. And they're, they're only two apart. No. 911. Uh, you wouldn't know. But when I say 911, you know what 911 is. It's a technical term that describes this big, huge event that started here and ended here, and you know all about it. You know what it means. It's a tragedy in our nation. So when Paul says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, lie, all the gods lie. Zeus is the biggest liar of all. I mean, you have to lie. If you don't lie, you're weak. Lying brings strength and it brings, it brings uh, leverage. You, you, ha- duh, you have to lie, just like you have to get up in the morning. If you're going to accomplish your purpose, you, you can't do it without, you know, Bending words the way we need to have them bent. But he is declaring here, for once, there is a God who doesn't lie. This God does not lie. In the hope of eternal life, which the God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. So these people on Crete believed that the gods were born on Crete. And they died on Crete. And Paul comes along and he writes something that says... There is a God who promised eternal life way before any of your gods were born, before the beginning of time. Well, the beginning of time is is before all these gods were born. He's setting up God to be head and shoulders above any of the gods that they understand. And he's talking about eternal life. Well, they believe that Zeus is buried on Crete. What's eternal life? This is different. And this is still in his introduction. He's an apostle of Jesus. He's a servant of this God. To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life. Verse 3. And which now at his appointed season he he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Paul has been entrusted with preaching this message, this message that he calls a mystery in in the book of Ephesians and others, this mystery that God is going to, God is actually working to bring salvation, not just to an island of people, not just to a certain people group, but to the whole world, not just to the Jews, but also to non-Jews. 
Paul says, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace. Those are weak words on the island of Crete. Grace and peace? How about war and strength? How about blood and guts? That's what we know on Crete. But Paul's saying, no, grace and peace from God who is a father and this Christ Jesus guy who is a savior, a God who is both a father and a savior. He's messing with the culture of Greece and everything he's saying here in his opening statement, in his introduction. So in verses five through nine, we're gonna see this new leadership that he's talking about. Because you see, it's only been, I don't know, 10, 20 years maybe since the gospel has arrived on the island of Crete. And Paul has shared the gospel. People have come to Christ. They're beginning to form churches and groups. They're meeting together. And then all of a sudden, bad leadership pops up. And this leadership is these Jewish Christians who also mix in the culture of Crete and call it faith. And call it Christianity. I mean, it's three bad, I mean, it's a good thing, but then it's a not so good thing, and it's a really bad thing. So they bring in Jesus, then they bring in the law, and they say, you still need to adhere to the law. You need to get circumcised and and, and follow these dietary restrictions and, and do sacrifice, all this other stuff. And then they bring in the culture of Crete. They bring in these false gods, and they bring in all this immorality and, and unethical behavior. It would be like taking chocolate milk and mixing it with a little Worcestershire sauce, which I can't say a second time, and then on top of that, adding a little 30-weight motor oil and mixing it up and saying, here, drink it, this is a good, I mean, can't you taste the chocolate? You can taste the chocolate, can't you? Well, maybe a little bit, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to rot you from the inside out probably. Even it might have a little bit of a good aftertaste to it. I don't know. So this is, what, this is what the leadership in the churches on the island of Crete was doing to them spiritually. They were mixing bad, they were taking Jesus and they were taking what he fulfilled and what was obsolete and keeping it there. And then they were adding all this other stuff. And Paul says to Titus, the reason, verse five, the reason I left you in Crete, there's a reason, was so that you might put in order, literally the word is to straighten out. You might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus is messed up there. You gotta go in, you gotta straighten this out. You've gotta appoint elders and you need to put a new kind of leadership into these churches because see, they came to Jesus but then they just reflected their culture. See, Jesus transforms culture. So you live within the culture. You don't, you're not fighting against the culture all the time. You're transforming the culture by living within it, but with a completely different God and a completely different set of values than the values that are in the culture. 
So you may dress the same and you may walk around the same and you may have the same kind of a job, but your value system is different because you have a different God. And Jesus changes his people and then they, be, they change their values and they change their culture and then they begin to change their environment and their community and you, you, it, it creates a new humanity, a new creation in Jesus Christ that makes a different kind of an existence, maybe something like a kingdom life, a kingdom community. And so he says, I left you there so that you can put in order what, left, what we left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. Now this wasn't a very big, in fact, if you were to stretch this island out, it would go about halfway across Iowa. It's not that big. In fact, I think Iowa is something like, I think I looked it up, something like 57,000 square miles, and Crete is like 3,000 square miles. So they had a limited number of towns. In these towns, if you had several hundred, are fairly large. These port cities were bigger. What if you were Titus, and you got dumped on this island, and you have to just kind of acclimate to get to know the culture and the people, and, and you need to go to these pockets of Christians, and you need to get to know them and talk to them, and you have to appoint, you have to appoint elders in these different places. So Paul gives him some direction. With that as a backdrop and a context, then you get to that verse 6 that says, an elder must be blameless. Now, as 21st century American Christians who are conservative, who take the Bible literally, sometimes we take it too literally. So an el- a, a man could look at this and say, oh, blameless? Like 100%? Doesn't blameless inerrant in the word mean 100% pure? Well, no, not as he's meaning it here. I mean, who is? Nobody is blameless, right? Except for in Christ. In Christ, we're found blameless, but he's not really talking about that. Otherwise, every person who's put their faith and trust in Christ could be described that way. This is a different kind of blameless. This is somebody who's not like the rest of the corrupt culture. Okay, so you've already adopted a new God. You've gone from Zeus to Jesus. Have your values gone from Zeus's to Jesus' values? And are you in good faith trying to live those values out? Perfect, no, but blameless in that this is a direction you're walking in. This is a direction that your life practices and evidences to people around you. So an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. Oh, who's that? Who's faithful to their wives? I mean, because in Crete, like in so many areas there, you've got the men, and then you've got the women. And I'll be faithful to your, your, my wife if I want to be. And if I'm not, and she doesn't like it, she can hit the road. Because she's just a woman in the Cretan culture. So he's saying, no, I'm looking for a guy. Now, I'm sure that there were men and women who loved each other, right? I'm sure that there were. Men who treated their wives, right? Women who treated their husbands well. But as a culture, you didn't have to, wasn't expected, and if you didn't, it was no surprise. So he's looking for somebody who's faithful to their wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. I mean, 
You're probably glad your kids are kind of wild, kind of crazy. Your son might make a good mercenary if he's a little wild and crazy. Make a little cheddar and bring home the bacon for you, see? Because you didn't want these. But a believing couple and a believing dad, the evidence of their faith is going to be seen in their kids. Since an overseer manages God's household, verse 7, he must be blameless. What does that look like? Not a couple things. Not overbearing. Do you know what overbearing is? Do you? Do you? Huh? Do you know what overbearing is? Do you really? Do you? Huh? Do you? Do you? That's overbearing. Get off me. So let me do my work, right? Overbearing. Not overbearing. Not quick-tempered. You guys, you guys don't know what it's like to work with Pastor John. <sighs> quick-tempered. I live in fear every week. Not given to drunkenness. I mean, drunkenness was like it is today, a recreational activity, right? I mean, in our culture, it's pretty recreational. Uh, overly drunken probably isn't a good thing. Uh, but back then, drunkenness, as long as you weren't working, you were drinking. Or you could drink. It wasn't seen as weird. Not violent, you get a guy who's a mercenary, he might be a little violent in his off hours. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Basically, there was no dishonest gain in Crete. There was gain or no gain. If it was gain, it wasn't dishonest. It was gain. And there was, there was either gain or no gain. You mu- much rather have gain. The next verse, rather, he must be here the things he has to be. Hospitable. Well, you're hospitable if it benefits you. One who loves what is good. Okay, that's too far. Loves what is good. What's good? What is good? What is truth? There's gain or no gain. It's no good. It's good if I get. It's good if I have power. Who is self-controlled. None of the gods were self-controlled. Why should we be? Upright. Holy. Disciplined. These were words that were not normal in their culture. Guys weren't like this. And Paul's saying, if you're going to raise up elders in these churches, you need to find guys like this. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can, two things, encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And this sound doctrine he talks about in chapter 2, it isn't a list of theological suppositions. It's a lifestyle. Because when God comes in and changes the heart, the heart is changed, the life is changed, and it's, it's who we are. So 15 years ago, I had elders in Orange City that I met with for the first time just when I got there. They said, we want you to teach us how to eld. We don't know how to eld. And I said, well, that's a really good question. They're like, how do we eld? And somehow we were just going to go on to the next thing. And, and Dwayne over to my left said, no, Pastor, I, I'd really like to hear you take a swing at that answer. And I'm like, well, in the, in the Bible, you know, how you eld is not how, it's, it's, it's what you are. So elders are recognized by the body for who they are. They are these things that are listed. They don't, it's not what they do, it's who they are. And out of who they are comes what they do, right? Jesus said, 
It's what comes out of a man that determines his clean or unclean, not what goes in. In fact, Jesus said, what goes in just comes out, right? You put it in, it's just going to come out. That doesn't make you clean or unclean. It's what comes out of your heart, what comes out of the heart of man that makes him clean or unclean. And all these things about elders are things that Paul is saying in the body of Christ, in the church of God, we need people whose hearts have been changed by a relationship with Jesus to be the leaders. Now, it's 11.36, right? This is why I didn't go to the rest of the natural passage, which goes to the end of the chapter. It's hard to read this 5 through 9 without reading 10 to the end of the chapter, which you're gonna, we're going to have to wait till next week to talk about that. Of course, I encourage you to read it. But it gives the other side, the other side, what was actually there. That's what Titus had to deal with, and Paul wanted him to bring in these kinds of elders. Why? So that when God changes a life, he changes a life, and those lives get together, they begin to create new households, new, new codes of conduct, and those people begin to transform a community and create a new humanity, which God is all about doing, creating a new humanity. We as believers at Community Heights, I think I said this 20 minutes ago, or did I say it in the first service? We're missionaries to our community. We're the missionaries. This is our Crete, right? The island of Newton, right? It's, it's bordered instead of water, it's cornfields and bean fields. That's what it's bordered, and a highway, right? Newton. God wants us to reach. The only reason we're not in heaven is because God has people for us to reach here. So we're going to see how Paul describes and lays all this out to Titus. It's pretty interesting. He's looking for a new humanity, and he's going to do it through his people. Today, tag, we're it. We're it. And you're it. So you get to go out and this week take the kingdom culture with you. Jesus lives his life out through you by the power of his spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we read. And Lord, we want to be missionaries as a church, as a corporate body, as a group of people. God, as a group, we want you to send us to the homes and the streets of Newton where people are lost and without hope in Jesus Christ. There's so much in our culture today, way more than 30 years ago, that will fill the lives of people and they won't know that it's all placebo, it's all fluff and stuff. There's nothing of substance in their life. They're busy and they're entertained and they're distracted, but they're alienated from you and from a life of purpose and hope and joy. So Lord Jesus, would you use us? Would you use us to be people who want to see the kingdom come right here in Newton, and in our surrounding communities as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray this morning, and if there's somebody here who has never placed their faith in the Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus, the Savior, 
that they would believe on him, the one who loves them and gave his life for all of us. Help us this week, God, to love you, to love our neighbor as ourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.